Hello world, it's me, your host Nate, here on this um, cloudy Monday uh, evening. I am, um, I'm kind of enjoying the weather. It's not too cold. The wind is a little too much, but I just need a little bit of sun. Just a touch of sun to make me feel like it's a new day. But um, other than that, um, today we have a, a special guest, Mr. Uh, should I call you DB or DB? Yep. DB uh, Marshall. He is a um, author. My mind is more blank. An author, uh, a radio personality, uh, public speaker, inspirational speaker, life coach, all those things that will equal to you getting your life back on track. Uh, he also wrote a book that we're going to talk about uh, a little bit later. But I want to start off with saying first, hello. How are you doing, sir? Greetings. Greetings. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, for some reason, um, I just keep getting authors in my uh, in my space. Uh, so I guess it's something that I need to learn, something that needs mm. to be done. Uh, so uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about your book, a little bit about who you are and the and your pursuits in life, if you will. Awesome, um, awesome. Uh, so today's topic is kind of connected to what DB does. Um, and I wanted to go over this love languages. I'm not going to go into the official definition of it, but simply put, how do you express love? How do you show love? How do you receive love? Um, and and what is your language compared to the people around you? Are y'all on the same page? Do y'all conf- um, consistently butt heads? Or you is there an even playing field? Do you find yourself being misunderstood a lot. Um, how are you sharing that? And it's kind of the love language kind of from a different perspective. Um, and I, I wanted to, well, for the last couple of weeks, I've been having conversations with various people, whether it be professional, business, personal, love that's come back from out of the blue because they bored in the quarantine all over the board. Um, and I I've been adjusting how I communicate with people. So one, I listen a little bit better than I probably did before all of this uh, in terms of the pandemic, and I hear differently. Um, And I'm practicing, especially if it's a confrontation or some type of, not necessarily an argument, I haven't had any major arguments uh, other than UPS, USPS, Amazon, you know, customer service type of stuff. But that that's the side. I think we all had those throughout this. But um, I've just learned or I'm understanding more how to communicate and how communication or your uh, love language kind of plays a part in having a smooth journey or having a bumpy journey. There's always going to be a couple forks in a road, a couple obstacles. But sometimes our ability to listen and communicate and and our ability to speak our truth is sometimes the thing that most times is the thing that I have found personally in my own experience um, that gets us into a little bit of a tr- trouble spot. So I wanted to um, just throw that question out there to you all that's listening. What is your love language? Uh, is it easy for you to communicate? Is a difficulty? Is there a difficult um, nature that you have in being understood? Are you the person that is always fighting for understanding and people, or do you have it together? 
because we have the other extreme, people who communicate very well. They're very effective at giving you their feelings. Um, but often that person sometimes may not be good at listening. Um, and this all stemmed from um, the great Will Smith, not putting him on a, a higher than thou pedestal, <laughs> but um, it really amazed me uh, just looking at his journey as he's been more active on social media, all the way up to this latest uh, piece of content that he threw out at us and his communication with Janet Hubert, um, the actress, dancer, singer, uh, mom, Janet Hubert, and him extending an olive branch, saying what I did wrong, but ultimately learning how to forgive himself for his, his part in the issue and just listening to her. We got the, the 30th anniversary of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and we saw the sit down conversation with the two of them, but Will Smith took it a, a step further and took the uncut version of their conversation and brought it to Jada Pinkett's um, Red Table Talk. So we got to see what really was said and how emotions really was ran high because on a special, we saw kind of a cut and paste of the conversation that was the initial um, them getting together and then you see them embrace at the end. But the middle conversation is what I was after, that love language, that how do we forgive? How do we let go? How do we move on? Um, and that just inspired this conversation that I'm having today with DB. And, it's, and, and for me, uh, just the last week and a half, how I've been communicating differently after seeing that clip uh, and after watching both of the the um, series go on. Um, but I'm going to throw this over to Mr. DB and ask him, did you see either of the clips, the Red Table mm -hmm. Talk or the anniversary special? Yeah, I didn't see the anniversary special, but I was able to see a few of the clips and mm -hmm. I was um, taken aback by it and also joyful. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the first time, I, you know, I don't, watch a lot of the pop culture type stuff in the news as much. Mm -hmm. But I do remember looking at a show on BET when they interviewed her and she kind of gave her perspective on right. what happened with her and Will Smith, how she was treated and the things that um, impacted her. But I didn't know to what extent because they filmed yeah. that like years and years ago. Mm -hmm. and so when she came back and said, look, you pretty much kind of blackballed my career you kind of ruined my career my mm -hmm. mouth dropped but it also went a step further and uh i was really in i was really glad that she got the full her full story out because we've seen a lot of those clips and it's almost felt like we've been a part of it um and uh what i what i found most important not even their personal conflict but what she was personally going on in her, what was going on with her in her personal life. She was in an abusive relationship. That third season that she was on of Fresh Prince, she was pregnant. So we saw her pregnant on the show, but she was pregnant in real life. Uh, and then she was in an abusive relationship. So all of those things, uh, and Will Smith saying he made it difficult for her. Mm -hmm. um, knowingly made it difficult for her on that set. So all of those things coming together, almost 20 some years, 27 years later, I would understand why somebody would be so frustrated and so, you know, venomous in their conversation and their dialogue and their reactions 
the worst thing she could have done was to sign on to do a live because she she hadn't healed. But you saw a different person come out once she. I, I, and, and for me, it was once she was heard. I think the acknowledgement that I acknowledge, not even that I'm sorry or please forgive me, but I think that the idea of her being heard, you saw a different person. She touched him. So she was being getting in his face. You saw a smile on her face that we have mm-hmm. not seen from her on social media uh, forever. I, I don't remember seeing it. Uh, but uh, how does that tie into, in your opinion, uh, how can we use that as a, kind of a platform in our personal lives. I know we're not rich people problems. Uh, you know, they came together on TV, but how can we apply some of those ideals into our own personal life, in your opinion? Yeah, um, I always tell people closure is paramount. <laughs> it mm. is paramount. If yeah. there is someone that has done you wrong, if you have done someone else wrong, and they're still living, make it happen, settle it. Uh-huh. It just settle it. And oftentimes when we have these conflicts, we walk away and we never talk about it and we internalize mm-hmm. it and mm-hmm. we make the story, the story when the story that we're making up is even half the times, not the story. Right. 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 So right. then we start having an internal conflict. And when you start having an internal conflict, that's when you start self-sabotaging. And mm-hmm. so what I liked about that is they were able to come together, still living. It's the same concept. Give people their flowers while they're living. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. to me, that was just as precious as getting 36 dozen of roses because it yeah. allow you to understand and move forward. But then there's a time when you cannot have that conversation with that person, right? They don't want to talk to you. They have yeah. past and going on. Then you have to learn how to resolve that within yourself. And mm. so you're not going to get the answers that you want, but you still have the power and the opportunity to close that chapter if you really want to. And we and, and I'm sure even after watching the Red Table Talk, which I would suggest if you haven't seen it, watch it because it just gives a little bit more insight. I wish mm-hmm. the two of them would have sit down together on that platform and had a conversation because his therapist was there. So we we got to see an even more vulnerable Will Smith in that space. But mm-hmm. I wish she was able to. So the closure could have been even more impactful to the to viewers, the people mm-hmm. who have been invested in this beef, so to speak, for so many years. Um, mm. And it, it really just showed me the capacity that we have to let things go. If you could see something 27 years and you can see how it has affected both of them, um, because he probably has li- lived with the guilt. I don't know, but hopefully he's lived with that guilt as long as she's dealt with the actual pain and the reaction of what he has done um, and the people around him aided to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, uh, how we love, and I, I keep using the word love because love can mean so many different things to so many people, but how we show love, how we express love, how we, uh, in hurt situations, how we give love, even in that space, uh, is really important to me as I grow older, because there's a lot of um, bridges that I need to <laughs> repair <laughs> uh, uh, going through, because I, I, being in the arts, I've been labeled difficult because I wanted certain things from me. And most times people label you as difficult when they can't control you or they can't get get out of you what they need from themselves. And it's almost a selfishness. I'm not saying there's not real difficult people out there, but often, as Janet Hubert said, it's, it's the kiss of death, especially for black people, black women. When you give them that label, that 
gives everybody else permission to treat them a certain way or deal with them or not in a certain way. And it, it was really just impactful just watching that. It was really inspirational to me. I mean, I watched I watched the ta- Real Table Talk twice because I just wanted to hear what it felt like to have closure from the other side. Somebody who has been disrespectful to somebody or did something wrong to someone. What, is, what does closure look like on that side? Mm-hmm. You know, does it relieve you? Does it make you want to give more to that person or that situation? Or uh, does it just, you know, help you to move forward with a clear conscience? So it was just really impactful. And if you have not seen either of them, I suggest you watch them just for that value um, and, and support, you know, black content and black media. But uh, definitely if you're having trouble forgiving someone or even being forgiven, because it's the struggle in being forgiven is often you don't accept what you've done as wrong or you haven't dealt with it. And we see that relationship playing played out with Oprah and, and Monique and Tyler and that, yeah. that side of it. So we see what is possible on that level, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm waiting for that to inspire. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised Yonla hasn't put Oprah in a chokehold by now and <laughs> forced this out of her, but people have to do this in their own time on both sides to be forgiven and to take forgiveness. And just remember forgiveness is not often for the other person. It can help that person if they, if they in a destructive pattern that's harming them and other people, but forgiveness is really for you to be able to move forward, you know, and not temporarily, but to really let go and release is for you. But I'm going to let the real life coach (laughs) take over for a moment and tell me a little bit about himself um, and what brought you to this point uh, in life that you're in right now? Well, it is well. My name is DB Marshall. I am many things. I wear many hats. Let me start off with that mm-hmm. and giving you some background. Um, I was raised by a single mom. Dad was still in my life. I had a great upbringing. A great, you know, father. Great mother was completely supportive all of my life. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I grew up in the hood um, and were poor, but not poor <laughs> poor. But then I know we were poor <laughs> um, until I got to high school. But with that said, um, I went through life, you know, raising my siblings because my mom was a single parent. At 14, I started working at Burger King. I was part of the household income, you know, mm-hmm. making sure my my siblings had in the whole nine yards. And so I really didn't start experiencing hurt mm-hmm. until young adulthood when I started dating. And that's when things got chaotic for me. And when I entered the dating world or even social or society, the social world, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that I wasn't accustomed to. I didn't know what manipulating was. I didn't know what lying was. I didn't didn't know what any of that was because we were raised to just always be yourself, be honest and love other to death, love all your siblings to death. So I I entered the world doing that. And so I am love based. I love loving everything about me is loving. I love being in love. I love everything about just love. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but with that said, currently in my life, um, I'm working on my doctorate degree. I am a, a, a life coach, a wellness coach. Um, in addition to that, I do provide therapeutic services for the elderly community um, on the weekends and Monday through Friday. Of course, I have a full time job until my business kind of kick off the way I needed to kick off. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a kidney ambassador. I'm a kidney patient and a kidney ambassador. So I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease. 
wow, about eight years ago, roughly eight years ago, and I became an ambassador about two years ago. So I worked for Kaiser Permanente. I sent on a committee. I also worked with a lot of pharmaceutical companies in addition to working with Emory University. Mm-hmm. In yeah. terms, so you are a psychology, is, are those what your two masters and undergrad career was? So no, actually, no, so actually I started off in education, early childhood education and okay. hated being in the and classroom. And you out to the classroom. <laughs> okay. Okay. I get it. I get it. And so then I then went back and said, Hey, what I'm going to do. So then I got my bachelor's and master's degree in social work. And so, mm-hmm. um, now I'm getting my PhD in social work. So I'm in the realm of clinical social work. Is that, so was that based on your experience putting you in that field or? Being in a classroom, because that could definitely, especially yeah. in today's world, bring up a lot of social disorders mm-hmm. and such. Yeah. So when I entered the classroom, it was I, I became almost claustrophobic just standing in those four walls. It drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those individuals. I'm very athletic. I like to move around our marathons. I'm always but it is nothing so- like <laughs> a child that will bring you to your, what grade did you teach? Um, I started out with. Um, pre-K, then from pre-K to kindergarten. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that you, was my motivator your... to kind of get out and do something else. And I was like, what am I going to do? I got. I thought about communication and all. I was like, no. Then I heard about social work and I was like, oh, I did this mm-hmm. all my life. My mom done this all my life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think I would be a good fit. And that's how I ended up in it. So now being on this, well, you're you're still on the academic side of it um, mm-hmm. in terms of because I'm quite sure you well, you do life coaching, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, what how has that been beneficial to you before you can you talk about the benefits of, for people to get it? But how has it been beneficial to you? Um, life coaching, um, you know, receiving services and also giving services has been awesome. And mm-hmm. so I know there's this huge stigma about help in the black community as it relates to emotional wellness, mental wellness, um, not so much as physical wellness. I think we're kind of open to needing help physically, especially from any type of physical therapist in the medical community. But once I start understanding the emotional impact that I had and others had on their lives, I became more um, curious about how can I be a, a universal servant? So can you tell me the difference between life coaching, uh, counseling, and then clinical therapy? What's <laughs> the difference um, in it? Because so most people co- think you all do the same thing. The same thing as the same type of communication. Um, no. So for much um, life coaching oftentimes have to do with the present. Who I am, what are these issues or barriers that I'm running into you and how can you get me unstuck? So when we go into the psychology aspect of it, then we start dealing or the clinical aspect. Then we start dealing with your past. So we start dealing with trauma, you know, um, and how trauma has impacted your life. So we get a lot of background information. You know, how is your relationship with mom and dad? How is your relationship with your ex? And try to pinpoint on at what part or stage in your life did you start to change and start really behaving in a way that you don't necessarily care about or care Mm. for. Mm -hmm. Then we have the psychiatry 
Um, mm-hmm. Basically, is everything that we kind of just talked about, but they have the authority to prescribe medications. And you usually. So, is that the cycle. one, the big difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what, what do you see yourself? Will you be more on the psychiatrist side or will you continue with the life coaching or therapy? Uh, no, I probably would not be going to the psychiatrist. I'm probably going to stick with the life coaching. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason I love life coaching so much, because oftentimes we are dealing with a lot of issues mm-hmm. that's not allowing us to kind of move forward. Sometimes it's surface issues and sometimes it's not. Um, a lot of times I deal with people that did that, that's, having some occupational issues, meaning they have an issue with a supervisor, they're trying to get promoted, or they're trying to Mm. move um, forward in a particular way in a relationship. And I kind of bring everybody together to sit down, okay, what are these barriers? What do we need to look at? Let's start peeling this um, onion, these layers of onions behind. So who, who is a good candidate for life coaching? Or what does it, is that a thing? Yeah. Is it for anybody or is it yeah. a certain specific type of person that's a good candidate for it? I think um, me personally, I, I think everybody is good for a life coach. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's good for counseling. And I think everybody is good for um, a psychiatrist if you need that, if you need that, that, that medical component mm-hmm. that needs to be attached to that. And the reason why, because oftentimes we are constantly learning about ourselves. Okay. And sometimes we are conscious of it and sometimes we are not conscious of it. And so I personally make sure I go see a, um, a counselor or a life coach really every year. At least I want to say for me, I usually go three months out of a year. I sit down, I talk, you know, talk about things, go over some things to try to figure out, OK, where I am, where am I going? And um, do I need to make any modifications on my plans that I have constructed at the beginning of the year? Oh, in terms of because sitting down with anybody and talking about that life can be stressful. And mm-hmm. when you're doing it as a career, you're constantly seeing different people, sometimes a large group or a number of people in a row. How do you maintain your sanity outside of those three months that is more so keeping you in order? Like, is it a yeah. ritual or what mm-hmm. do you do to keep yourself from losing it yourself? Yeah. So if someone comes, that's a good question. When someone comes to me, we always, oftentimes, most life coaches and um, psychologists, um, we have an action plan. So we sit down and we come up with an action plan. I call mine an action plan or wellness plan, actually. And if you go to a psychologist, they may call it a treatment plan, but we come up with this plan of action. And so once we complete our sections here, when you um, sign out for life coaching, Mm -hmm. I then follow up 30 days later, then I start following up quarterly. Now, they don't do that necessarily (laughs) with the counselors or the psychiatrists Mm -hmm. um, per se. But for me, I like to just follow up because life happens. Things happen. You know, I like to call them triggers. Triggers happen. This thing that can get up under your skin that you're trying to manage. It happens. I even have my own triggers. And so Mm -hmm. when you have someone who is invested in you, that's going to follow up then that's the type of person you want in your life because more than likely he and she is going to get you back to your, um, to you, get you to your purpose. Now, and this, for me, I, I, this is how I looked at life, uh, life coaching. Normally it's not really connected to, uh, any trauma or anything of that nature. It's more so organizing your thoughts, getting mm-hmm. you on a more professional career driven mm-hmm type of path 
Whereas mm-hmm. though counseling is more dealing with your internal in terms of maybe trauma or childhood or re- relationships mm-hmm. outside of work or okay. one-on-one like personal relationships. I, yes. I didn't know if it was the same. Are you dealing with the same issues with the clients or are you more so more so on their career path or life path? Uh, yeah, so I deal more with the life path. However, okay. there is some overlapping. Let's be clear because okay. sometimes the barriers that they're dealing with or the conflict or internal conflicts that they're having mm-hmm. have to do with stuff in the past. It's Although tied back I may to something not, else. Mm-hmm. Okay. I may not dive deep into that, but I will recommend that they would talk to someone more okay. professional as I am their life coach. But because I have a lot of experience um, with also providing clinical service, I am able to say, hey, you know, this is what I'm seeing. I want to go ahead and refer you out. So that way that you have your life coach that's addressing that particular goal that you came to that life coach with, but you Mm -hmm. also have a counselor or um, a psychologist that can be addressing some of that trauma. Does that make it difficult? Does that make the the work as the life coach a little bit difficult if they're having some overlap? And certain, like, you know, if they are constantly overspending or they're in deep debt, that's things that you help them get through. Mm -hmm. But that may be connected to something deeper. Mm -hmm. So how did you, I mean, well, you just said you kind of choose to send them to somewhere else to get Mm -hmm. some of that more wraparound service. Um, Mm -hmm. As you grow in this, is that something that you want to also incorporate into your life coaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, in the future, my goal is to start providing clinical services okay. at some point. Um, that's a whole beast in itself because you got to make sure you have the proper credentials and not just the credentials. You got to have the support okay. and the money as well. But uh, yeah, I can what's see myself money, doing though? that. What's the, money, huh? what's the money aspect? As far as how much it costs or how much do I have to come out of pocket? Yeah. So, I mean, you said a financial, is it financial on your end or on the client? On my end, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because then we start dealing with insurance companies. We start dealing with state laws, federal laws, you know, you're dealing with Medicaid, uh, Medicare possibly. And that's a whole, you know, another world in itself that you have to be very aware and adaptive. Okay. That, that, that's, that, that was really my biggest, uh, thing because I've been in myself career-wise trying to figure out what are my 40s going to look like? What do I want them to look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and like my first experience with a therapist was not for me. I didn't do the selection process um, as carefully as I should have because I didn't think that you pick a therapist like you pick a school or mm-hmm. your doctor. I didn't think of it in those terms and I should have d- did my homework and not just been ready for therapy, I should have picked it because it really made me stay away from it a little bit um, more than I should have. Um, okay. what, what, how would you suggest people on your, from your perspective now as a life coach, how do you, how should people select you or another life coach or what, what parameters do you tell your clients or potential clients to look at when choosing so, a life coach? Yeah, um, that's a good question. So uh, I, for me, I always look at characteristics, right? Okay. And so um, I always say find something that you, someone that you can be comfortable with. And so mm-hmm. it may be the fact that, it's you know, he's a male. So you want to look at gender. You want to look at sexuality. So although 
Um, I really cater to the LGBTQ community or same gender loving. Okay. But I'm also open to other genres because I was raised to be all loving and all accepting. But that's just my targeted population. And not only that, you know, I've also lived that life. So you a little bit more connected. You approach it from an understanding and experience that oftentimes a heterosexual may not necessarily yeah. um, approach that particular um, technique or or a certain twos that you may be aware of because you live the life and you know we do research on ourselves all the time right so we always come into things whereas someone that may be heterosexual those twos may not be as vast as the ones that i may necessarily have so i always say look at the characteristics and the demographics and so if those are a good fit then you sit down and you just read a little bit about them then you just do like little consultations and see mm -hmm. if you connect for me energy is really big I, I don't care what I do. If I have a personal trainer, if I have someone <laughs> who's going to be doing my photography, whatever, it's always energy, energy, energy. Right. Now, if I run into a lot of people, it has to be spiritual. You have to be Christian. So even at the agency I work for right now, where I provide therapeutic services, often they've been getting a lot of requests for a black male. Mm. So black men are in demand right now with a lot of our clients. That's it. And I, I can understand it because like for me, in, in terms of a doctor, I've always pref uh, preferred a woman doctor because mm -hmm. sometimes you get a little bit more nurturing where men right. can be a little short with you. And mm -hmm. even with my barbers, I prefer a woman uh, barber because they <laughs> do a little bit more. They give you a little yeah, bit do. more treatment than, you know, just a straight lineup and send you out the door. Yeah. So. Definitely, when you're thinking about counseling, whether it be on the end of a life coach or a psychiatric, do your homework because um, you can always check for credentials. But in terms of, you know, just the initial like for me, that therapy session, the first therapy session, I was like, this is this not it. But I thought just this what therapy was like I had she was a, a black woman. So I felt like I was about to be nurtured. But then she turned into a sister girl where. I knew more about what she was going through than she knew about what I was going through. And mm -hmm. that first sit down, I was, she was in her way analyzing me and kind of putting me into, uh, you know, I guess, I don't know what to call it, but she was doing her little assessment on me, mm -hmm. but I should have been doing the same thing. And I stuck <laughs> in there longer because I just, I was ready for therapy. Uh, but now understanding like the difference in it, now mm. I understand what to expect a little bit more because often people don't. People try to get you to get life coaching services, but you don't really know what you're getting into. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the things that I always do is like, what brought you here? Yeah, we're going to do that initial assessment and we all should because that's just the yeah. ethical thing to do. But, you know, what, what, what brought you in here? And, and oftentimes mm -hmm. when you present that to them, and I don't know how your session started, <laughs> But they start, you know, pretty much just, you know, projectile vomiting. It just start mm -hmm. coming out, <laughs> and uh, and I'm trying to keep up with them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and when that started happening, then I try to really figure out where right. do we need to start because mm -hmm. oftentimes when you start really laying it out, you realize again that's that onion. It's so many layers to it. Yeah. And the more and more you talk, the more and more comes out, and you have to stop pulling those layers back to it, get it, to the it, core. It really makes a difference. And I didn't even think about specialty uh, coaches and, and, and therapists and such mm -hmm. um, that deal specifically with certain populations of people right. 
or or even you know in terms of spirituality or sexual orientation or mm. race like that it yeah. makes a difference because especially in the world we in today you're not gonna feel I'm, I'm not gonna feel as comfortable sitting down in front of a white man talking about my issues with society i'm just it's not mm-hmm. i'm not gonna think like that even if he's an ally or she's mm-hmm. an ally i'm just not in this space because they already have a in my opinion have a built-in bias because mm-hmm. of who they are naturally that they mm-hmm. may not even understand so and that's, I think that's what we get into trouble with when people talk about, especially with black people, they not thinking that we feel pain and we not right. realizing. But why do you keep going to that same type of doctor if they right. not understanding that black people <laughs> have just as much of a tolerance for pain as any other race of people? Mm-hmm. But I think now and that, that should be something that I think a lot of coaches and therapists need to in terms of that marketing strategy or just could communicating with the public getting us to understand. And I don't want to uh, segregate <laughs> the the therapy population, but it really does matter who you're speaking to sometimes. It does. It really it does. does. Uh, it, it, because- it really does. And being able to connect. That's yeah. Once you connect that investment, and even uh, when I sit down and I talk to, you know, the people, the people that I'm my um, clients, I don't like to call them clients. I, like, <laughs> I literally like to just call them just, you know, just kind of family. Okay. Um, and the reason I do that, because they have to understand that it, this is we. Now, when I'm dealing with, you know, my clients or patients, shall I say, when I'm dealing with the therapeutic side of it, I mm-hmm. do not call them family. You know, they are my patient. Right. But, right. And, and I say that even though I have the patients and I have, you know, the love pursuit family, I always say we you are not going through this by yourself. OK. And so they have to understand that this is inclusive. And once you realize that the fight is together, we make this treatment plan together, we make this action plan together, we modify it together, and we all mm-hmm. agree on it, then we both are held accountable for what needs to happen next. Is that, so I'm gonna ask you this, have you ever had to turn down one of your family members? Have you ever yeah. said, you know, in terms of, I don't think this is gonna work, or I don't think you're ready? Right, yeah, so I, I'm very direct, very, very direct, but respectful. And I'm okay. going to give it to you. You know, most of the times is raw as I need to. Uh, and mm-hmm. it depends on the person in their situation because it's case by case. You have to be very sensitive to certain people, emotions and where they are in their life. Right. But if I know that you're not ready to do the work, then I'll let you know you're wasting your time. You, you're just not ready to do the work. And, and okay. until you're ready to do the work, then you're just paying me just to come here and to repeat yourself and continue this vicious cycle. And I'm not going to let you do that. Um, I'm going to bring it to your attention. That's that's helpful because some people would just let the person keep going, whether it be for financial reasons or they just that person that just like to take on more than what they should be taking on right. in that moment. Right. Um, how did this all culminate itself into you writing this book? Is this your first book? Yeah, so this is my first book. And it's funny that you talk about the, the, the different types of um, therapists that's out there because mm-hmm. um, the book came about because I went through a divorce. And when I went through my divorce, I was really like depressed and stuff like that for a lot of different reasons. But in the midst of me going through that, I also just um, experienced racism and discrimination for the first time in my life. And I didn't know how to respond mm-hmm. to that. I didn't know how to respond to a white man sitting in my face telling me he's going to be after me and going to make sure my career is going to be ruined if he had anything to do with it. And oh, it's like, wow. what do you do? What do you say? And so 
I well, could say was that anything. a client or was that? No, this was in my professional life. Yeah, okay, okay. in my professional life. And so I could have said something, you know, the me, me <laughs> that my, my mom raised wanted mm-hmm. to really say something. But then in our workspace, we have the political side. Right. And yeah. we have to make sure we follow their political views mm-hmm. and protocols because you will find yourself unemployed. And I'm right. almost vested. So I didn't want to do that. So. That just led to a whole lot of emotional stress and distress. And one day I was just sitting in the bed and I was crying and uh, going through whatever I was going through. And I heard this voice say, be still. And Mm. I didn't know what that was. And it said it again. And I was like, is this what people talk about when they say they hear from God? Because I've never had a God experience that I knew of. So this was my first conscious God experience. And Mm. I I did that. I took, um, I was depressed. I took FML. And took three months and I just literally just laid there depressed and just listened and just waited. That's mm-hmm. and that's how all of this came about. So the thought of is was it so does this book mean more in terms of your experiences or this the experiences that you've encountered uh from others? Is it yeah, kind um, of a so mixture book, one? Yeah, the book gives a lot of snapshots of my life. And mm-hmm. the different things that I went through, but it's also I'm also coming from a cognitive behavior approach, right? Okay. And so we do better when we think better. Everything starts with a thought, and until okay. you change how you think, your behavior and your actions is not that they, they, they're just not going to change. Because you so, won't even see it. You won't even see mm-hmm. what to do next because you're in that old mindset, right? Mm. And it's almost like a default. Yeah. So you've learned this and behaved and respond or, or reacted like this for so long. Trying to get yourself to see anything different is going to be foreign. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's not going to feel good. You know, you're going to your walk is going to change. Your talk is going to change. So I went through this whole process. And so in the book, I give my affirmations that I use mm-hmm. in my personal life to help the next person. Then I give a little glimpse of my story. And towards the end, I give a reflection area so the reader can reflect on things that they need to do. So you literally get tools. So I'm not saying and trying to preach to you, telling you what you need to do and what you need to say and not challenge you to change your behavior. So I give you the affirmation was supposed to help you change your thought. You kind of connect with my story, hopefully. That's me normalizing everything, right? Because in our community, we have to normalize some stuff because we always hide behind closed doors. And so <laughs> when somebody realized that they going through stuff, are you going through the same thing they're going through? They'll be like, oh, OK. So it's not just me. Now, I just mm-hmm. don't leave you there. So once you have that change of the thought, now you connected with me and we have normalized it. Now it's time for me to come and support you. I support you by providing those activities or those reflection pieces. Now it's up to you to do the work. OK, but this book gives you all the tools that you need to help jumpstart your journey to wellness. That in the book itself um, won't be out until February, February 6th, right? February the 6th. So right now you're just doing tours and you're doing workshops in terms of just presenting the book to people. Mm -hmm. Is this book in a workshop form? I mean, workbook form or is it uh, a read through and, and then you assess, you know, what you got from it? How do you present the book to people in terms of how it can apply to their life? Um, so actually a little bit of both. So again, like I said, the first thing you do, you're going to get the title, you're going to get the affirmation. This is what you need to connect to. 
you know, then from there, again, you read the different stories. But the beautiful thing is that I'm not the only burgeoning soul in this book. I have six other burgeoning souls. So it's just not me who's gone through a lot of mess in life, a lot okay. of trauma, a lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment. I found six other individuals who are entrepreneurs as well. So, mm -hmm. and I tell people, if I can do it, they can do it. You can do it too. Okay. Okay. All right? And so, like you said, then it turns into like a workbook. When you have those reflections, I'll ask anywhere from four to six different questions to allow you to challenge your way of thinking, challenge the way that you walk and talk and act and, re and react and respond to others. Okay. And at that point, you can take all of that information and you can apply it in your life. I think it's really essential for, you know, so I'm I'm a, a professional artist um, okay. and maybe like 12 years ago, I decided to go for, I don't want to say go for broke, but go for fame and wart and fortune and all that. Uh, and I wanted to uh, really pursue my artistry on a professional level. At, at that point in life, I was kind of straddling the fence of, okay, this is what I do. This is who I am. This is my life, everything about it. But I got to pay the bills. I got to make sure it's food on the table. When you come to clients that are kind of in that fork in the road, um, what's the first thing that you tell, tell them in terms of us trying to decide which way do we go? So what, what would be your advice for someone? Usually the first thing I say is, you know, what's priority to you? What's priority and what's secondary? Mm -hmm. And so when we're able to break down what's most important to you, then mm -hmm. we know exactly how we need to move forward. But you realize most people don't even know what's important to them. Uh -huh. so if I say, Nate, tell me the meaning of your name. And Nate is going to say the giver. Okay. And that's good. The giver. <laughs> Looked it up the other day. So. <laughs> and so that's one of the chapters in my book. Most people I encounter, they don't even know the definition of their name. Right. And right. it don't have to be a formal definition from a particular tool that's or an assessment mm -hmm. out there. You can give your own self a name. A definition. But yeah. until you know who you who you are and what you're supposed to do, you can't expect your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your lover, your boss, you can't expect them, mm -hmm. you know, not to cross you and for them to understand you more when you don't even understand the meaning of your name. Yeah, that that makes sense from, I've, I've never heard it said that way, mm -hmm. but it makes perfect sense because yeah. until you, I, I like my name, I looked it up the other day. I've always known the definition, but it's like it's a Hebrew version and there's a, 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 um, a Dutch version of it. But in me knowing what my name has meant all mm -hmm. these years, um, and it made me look it up again last week because I was like, maybe I've been just doing the wrong thing because I thought it meant this. But yeah. understanding, no, it's the same definition no matter where you look at. Uh, understanding what your character is what your habits are because who you are is connected to the good and the bad of who you are. Um, and you got to understand it so you don't fall into those pitfalls. But in terms of choosing and making, not choosing, but making a choice um, mm -hmm. in your life, why is that so difficult for individuals to do so in most cases? Because some people can just make a decision and, and don't care and don't even turn mm -hmm. back. But I think the the majority of us we're we're always balancing. Oh, is it you know rent and homelessness and and I've always said I don't I'm not for that starving artist career. You know I want to have a roof over my head. I want to be able mm -hmm. to put food on my table and clothes on my back. 
uh, and I want to go to my, my motto was always, I want to go to the market on Wednesday because it's Wednesday, not because the check cleared, not because the gig paid off today, but I want to be able to have freedom in my life that poverty does not often give you. Um, mm-hmm. But why is that so difficult? Why is choice or choosing so difficult for um, individuals in terms of our life? Um, just, just a four letter word, fear, mm. fear is the biggest oh, thing. Right <laughs> <laughs> fear is the biggest thing that holds us back. Mm-hmm. Um, more than not, I, and I, I can believe it's still happening, but don't believe it's happening. Right. People really care a lot about what other people think. Like it is huge. Why? And so because we give people and society so much power yes yes um yes, yes. and i and i and i i don't know do you talk about politics on go, your go, okay, okay. You, and i'm just going to no give rules, you an example no so right now um re- republicans right they don't want to come out and just say don what donald trump is just doing wrong right because they scared they're going to lose their job and so what they're basically saying that they're living in fear because they're going to lose their position in the senate and if they do step out, it means that they're going to have a give. They're going to have to give up that particular job, but they're willing to sacrifice themselves, their mm-hmm. soul. Okay, now speaking of, and the whole country for a position, yeah, or power, mm-hmm. right? For power, and mm-hmm. so until we learn how to stop walking and living in fear, it's. I mean, we just going to. I call it self harm. We're going to continue to self harm. And it's no different than you literally getting an, uh, uh, um, a razor blade and cutting your wrist yeah. or slitting your throat. The only difference is that you're doing a slicing internally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's and, uh, this. Uh, have you noticed um, in just in your work right now during this pandemic? Have you seen a bigger push for your services? Uh, in terms of what to do next or how do I fix this? Or a lot of people, myself included, I've been able to clean up a lot of stuff, not everything, not most of the stuff, but a lot mm-hmm. of stuff from decisions that I didn't make or bad decisions that I made before yeah. during this time. Have you seen a bigger push in that or to get things yeah. in order? There has been an increase of um, my organization and also the organizations that I work for services. Mm. There has been an increase and I'm excited about it, not necessarily excited about it because of what caused them to come, but just excited about it that they can actually just step out there and say, you know what, there's something that's going on that I'm not completely happy about or I'm not sure what it is. I I just need you to help me, to help me figure out like what's going on. Is there a common, is there a, I'm not going to say typical, but is there a issue that comes up all the time or with the majority of your, your, uh, the people you work with? Hmm, that is a good question. I think if anything, I'm dealing more with loneliness. Mm. Yeah. And especially among um, the elderly population, all, okay. all of them. Yeah. Um, and in addition to a lot of the, Older, and I got to say older because I can't give you a specific age in a um, LGBT community because mm-hmm. you know the young folks look at you being old once you hit like 35, 40. They consider 25, you old. really. 
I saw being called Oak at like 27. Like, come on, man. Give me some time. Give me a little bit of time. And there is a lot in the LGBT community. There's a lot of lonely people. They want to be in relationships. um, And Mm. they have gotten to the point that they have internalized that something is wrong with them. And they're trying to figure out Mm. what it is that they cannot, you know, um, solidify a meaningful relationship. They are at the point, and I think it's fine, but I say they're at the point where they're okay if they're not in a romantic relationship, but if they just can have a consistent companion, it don't have to necessarily be intercourse. And the companionship will consist of holding hands, hugging, you know, like mm. kissing. Um, that, that They're open to that, being in a sexless relationship. But is that healthy, though? Because that feels yes. like you're trying to, I mean, I'm not wanting those things is a healthy mm-hmm. need, but in terms of it, almost feels like okay, I can't have what I really want, so I'm I'm willing to settle for this. Does mm-hmm. it? I mean, maybe I'm just looking at it from the outside, but does it? Um, is that does yeah. that get to an unhealthy space, or will that lead to unhealthy participation in you know getting that hand held? Mm-hmm. But you got to deal with you know a big mama, or you you know. <laughs> what is the breakup? I mean, because for me, I'm there's it's deal breakers for me. I'm, I'm not going right. to do anything for companionship, um, and that that was my problem a minute ago. <laughs> but I've learned how to balance that out. But mm-hmm. does it get to a space of that's not healthy to simply settle for less just to get right. you know touch, which we all need. That's a basic element mm-hmm. of life, touch. But uh, does it get to a healthy place? Yeah. Um, so I really Unhealthy. despise that word, settle for less. I just, it sends, I cringe when I hear people <laughs> say it, right? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's almost like a trendy term now, and, and it's nothing against you. And I'm saying that to right. say this, oftentimes people don't even know what they want, Yeah, you know, yeah. and say so they didn't paint it in their head that certain things are settled for, for less instead of exploring. So one of the things that my book talks about, stop putting these hard boundaries in place until you explore. If you haven't explored that particular thing, then don't create a hard boundary. And so I hear all the time when I talk to people, you know, they got to have all this superficial, all this superficial stuff, right? Mm. In this materials cars, got to have a nice paycheck, got to be making a certain round, you know, you got to be this, you got to be that. And I sit back and I look at them. It's like, what do you really want? What do your internal wants? You want a you know, blank, you want we, a paycheck or do you right want a relationship? Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about loneliness, you know, then we start exploring what does that look like? Right. In touch. You know, you and this may sound crazy to you, just being able to smell someone's scent when they walk in the house or in the bed. Like that does wonders for people. And they don't even really know that until we start doing some of these exercises. And they were like, oh, you know, they can identify that particular smell of the person that they really love and want to spend more time with. And so when you start talking about these little things and you compare it to a house and this much of money and all of that, and you realize none of those things technically bring you happiness. You think you told yourself it does. But at the end of the day. What really mm. matters to you? So it goes back to prioritizing. When I say what's primary and what's secondary, but and and I guess that's just the language that I have. My, well, well mm. not have, but that's just the the phrase that's in my vocabulary. Mm. Settling for less, and mm. I'm I'm not saying any of those things are less mm. in nature in general. 
But I am not willing, me, this is Nate speaking. I'm mm-hmm. not willing to have somebody in terms of a relationship just so I can have companionship or I don't mm-hmm. feel alone. I'm not willing to sacrifice all the things that I want. And I don't have an expectation list. Um, and I, I've tried not to have an expectation list. And how did this get on this? <laughs> but It's okay. I, I, and, and even in my friendships, I don't have an expectation for people because me, in my definition of it, in order for me to have an expectation for you, that means I'm trying to control who you are or I want you to be me versus letting people be who you are and then choosing what you don't want to deal with or not. Uh, So that's, that's how I personally look at it. So when I say settle for less, that's what I mean. And, 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 and that's, that's good. Right. But Mm -hmm. what doesn't happen is that person that you may be getting to know may not know that. And so we have to be very careful with our words. Cause when you say, Oh, I'm not going to settle for less. And if you tell that to a particular person, then you just told that person you're less than, and he's less than what, whatever you have to offer. <laughs> right, and so right, right. we go back to the conscious and, and the subconscious. that was my mistake for a minute. Right. I, <laughs> so we talking about the conscious and the unconscious. And mm-hmm. what we do oftentimes in our community, we say things and we send out negative affirmations and not positive affirmations. So right. instead of saying, you know what, this is where I am in life, I don't think we will be a good fit because this is where I am and this is where I'm trying to achieve. But when we come out and say, well, I ain't going to settle for last, but you just told that person that, they're less than you or you're better mm-hmm. than them. Yeah. And you just created that division of separation. Then you want to turn around and wonder why you're not in a relationship. So this is why you do this, DB, because yeah. you make sense <laughs> of miscommunication. This is yeah. why you're great at this. And I, I, I've been following a lot of your, your posts and such since I reached out to you. And then, you know, I think we need more people that look like us giving mm-hmm. us this message. Because Dr. Phil just doesn't, he doesn't do it for me. I love Iyanla <laughs> like I love my grandmother, great-grandma, and you need that nurturing. But sometimes there's things that I don't want to tell Iyanla. Or yeah. I don't want to, I wouldn't want to tell someone like that. So it, mm-hmm. it's really important for people because you don't have to, you can you can be fake in front of them yeah. and kind of omit things to, to fit the narrative. But when you're dealing with somebody that looks like you, that have similar experiences, mm-hmm. it's really hard to really um, to cut corners in that way right. or give them shorts uh, because they can call you out on them very easily. Um, I'm, I'm in the process of uh, writing a book of my own and I'm, I am doing it with the help of an editor and a, uh, a therapist. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm shrinking myself as I go through the process so I know I'm purging completely, like literally I tape our, our communications and I send that to the editor so we can break down what's next and what this chapter is going to be so on and so forth. And Mm -hmm. I, that only came because in me trying to do this by myself, I was omitting a lot of things that made me look bad. And I was like, that's not real. Who wants to write a book (laughs) like that? Like, no, I wouldn't want to read that book. Uh, yeah. Because you can almost tell when someone's writing that way. Like, you don't have no fault in this. Like, there's mm-hmm. no, everything oh is about what somebody else has done. Thank so, you. so in terms of when you're dealing with entrepreneurs, 
entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. as I, I'll call myself, but um, dealing with entrepreneurs, how do you kind of categorize, okay, these are things that you emotionally need to get through, and these are things that steps that you need to take to get yourself financially, professionally, career-wise back on track or to move forward? Um, what does that assessment know, look like? I'll ask you that so it's not you know, such a that, broad that, question. <laughs> that assessment is just basically just, again, just me, them t- telling me about them without second-guessing it. Mm-hmm. And a couple of questions on my assessment. Um, after they answer a couple of questions, I'll say to them, tell me how you really feel right now in this moment. Don't even think about it. And and, and they just kind of spit it out. And you realize that oftentimes what they're feeling in that moment is attached to everything else that mm-hmm. they're trying to do in life that they can't necessarily um, get past or get to. And I know in the Black community, we have not been taught to really express our feelings a lot. Mm. Um, Even in my house, I mean, it was never said, don't express your feelings, but it was always get back up or I don't want to see you cry or, you know, boys don't supposed to cry. No, it's just a little stuff like that. Now me, man, emotionally, I'm just so wide open uh, and that's good Mm -hmm. and bad because you have to found, you know, a boundary everywhere. Um, And sometimes I get so emotionally involved that, I need to manage that a little bit better. But, okay, so I, I guess, so do you, would you prefer someone go through therapy before they seek out your your services or does it um, matter? It, or can it they do them together? It, it matters. So if you know you are dealing with molestation, rape, abuse, you know, as a child or, you know, just really kind of taking advantage of in your upbringing, I would say, you know what? Yeah, go see, you know, a psychologist. Um, But the difference between me and a psychologist um, on a financially looking at it from that perspective, if you have insurance, they're only going to cover so many visits, right? Okay. So oftentimes insurance will cover anywhere between eight to 12 visits. So if you run out of visits, then you can always come to a life coach. However, I'm not going to continue the services that they probably have right. given you. But what I would be able to do is look at the tools that they gave you and incorporate those tools into what we're doing now and how you're trying to move forward in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's unfortunately that insurance companies put caps on, you know, you trying to figure this stuff out because, it takes more than eight sessions a year. It takes mm. more than 12 sessions a year. Like I know a buddy of mine who's been in therapy all of his, ever since he was like 25 years old. Ooh. Mm. He see a therapist every day. That's the type of maintenance he need in his life. And so mental health is real. I just say yeah. that mental health is real. And so I'm going to do my best to provide the service in which I'm able to address what needs to be addressed. Then right. when I feel like it's out of my scope, then I will refer them to someone else. And and we use that word mental health so much now. And I and I'm a big portion, a percentage of that is needed because a lot more people are coming out of that closet and needs and need that type of attention because of the past trauma, because of past or present uh uh issues that they may be going through. 
But I, I think many people look at mental health and automatically think schizophrenia or crazy or above, you know, the norm line or below mm-hmm. the norm. Like, so we, we never look at that, that phrase to be a cross section of everything, whether it be I'm having financial issues because I was never taught certain things. So it's getting out of hand because we often look at the symptoms of what's wrong as the issue and not necessarily where it's coming from. So we normally see the extremes of what mental health can look like versus the everyday person that's going through a mental illness. I am projecting that they're going to end up changing the term mental health. And you bring up a good point because of the Mm -hmm. stigma is attached to it. Yeah. But listen to for, for all this, listen, listen to me. All mental health is, your physical body is imbalanced, period. Mm -hmm. And since it's happening in the mind, they called it mental health. Mm -hmm. But it's really your body. (laughs) At the end of the day, your body. So you have a chemical imbalance that's going on. And that's why you see a psychiatrist because they'll give you some medication to make sure that chemical is balanced so you're not responding and behaving in the way that is inappropriate. But really, at the end of the day, your body is just out of whack. You ever get mm. up and you're like, oh, I just don't feel like myself today. There's an imbalance going on. Mm. Stomach hurting, you have diarrhea. There's an imbalance going on. So look at it like mm. that. It is the same concept. Your body. But we just only out of whack. see it in like up here. We only yeah. see that being something up here. So I, I think once, and it, I think I, we don't need a new term. I don't think that's mm-hmm. the last thing we need in this world is a new identifying term um, because I think it further complicates things. But I think the stigma around those things mm-hmm. needs to be adjusted because mm-hmm. now all I have to do is just create a new term. And that makes this portion of people feel a little bit better about themselves, which is helpful because it kind of broke down what that other those other words or terms meant to mm-hmm. the greater good or greater mm-hmm. co- world if you will uh but um i I really think just especially for black men uh i uh took part in this uh program over the summer and i just noticed black men will come and get help or we are often put in a situation where we we're getting help once we're like too far gone in a certain situation or we're already behind bars, or we're being released after 60 years in jail, or something extreme, or it's something being court ordered, uh, if you will, or to to get Mm -hmm. other services that they may need. They'll go Mm -hmm. through that platform. Uh, But I I want to normalize, like I I want it to be normalized, if it's anything I can do to help, but I think it needs to be normalized that we can express ourselves, just in general, because whether you gay, straight, purple, gay, whatever, black men don't feel comfortable expressing themselves because that means I look a certain way to this person sitting across from me or I they go think I am a certain thing or whatever the thing is. So yeah. how do we normalize it for us? Not for the outsiders, but for the people mm-hmm. who actually need the help. How do you normalize it? Why do you suggest we normalize it? Um, um, and a good question. I talk about this in a book, you know, um, the perception is a weakness is perceived to be weak. 
Um, mm. A weakness does not mean that you're weak. A weakness just to me means an opportunity to be better. Right. And so, you know, I give tips on what you can do and how can you move forward with that. But in essence, it goes back to just really spending time with the self. Mm. Uh, when you spend time with yourself, I mean, I even date myself. Like right now, I'm not in a relationship. I date myself. You better go to that yeah. restaurant for one. <laughs> Look, <laughs> at night, sometimes I make a warm cup of milk with some cinnamon in it. You know, have my la hot milk so I can sleep well. But the purpose of doing that, be it allows you to build your self-esteem. It allows mm. you to build your confidence. It allows yeah. you to spend quality time with yourself. I also yeah. meditate. You can call it meditation, prayer, chant is all the same thing to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Build your relationship, not only with you, but your higher source. When you are comfortable and confident in your skin, you confident with the fat rows, you confident <laughs> when having a no booty, a flat booty, thick eyes, curvy. There's nothing mm-hmm. anyone on the outside world going to be able to tell you about you because you know you. Mm. And so with that said, we have to spend more time with ourselves and less times with our friends, going to the club, yeah. drinking, all that time you invest in in making those balls rich. You need to think about your life and your, your, you know, your wellness and your exploration. Spend that time in yourself. I just, I just, sir, uh, as we get to tune into church now in this mm-hmm. new world, <laughs> uh, the sermon that, that the church I go to, well, the pastor that I listen to rather, um, she spoke about um, dividing our attention and how if we are too too much in one of those categories, obviously something's being blocked. Obviously something is not of quality in the other two. So giving your God slash spiritual self enough attention, giving yourself enough attention, giving others enough attention. And sometimes you have to take a little bit from this one to balance this one out. And there's no such thing as perfect balance, but go and try to do it as much as you can. And sometimes it'll be a little, it's it's work in doing that. But once you get in the habit of, you know, okay, I got to take my time for me. I got to take my time for my spirituality, my God, my religion, or, and I got to take a little time for everybody else that's in my life. And given that, it, you'll find yourself feeling a little bit better. One of the things that I noticed during this pandemic, people don't like being by themselves. It's really difficult for them to spend a moment by themselves. We so much so that we're putting ourselves in health danger. Mm-hmm. Being around people who just 10 months ago, we couldn't stand. But for some reason, we just feel the need to be for the last, like, what, 10 years, we've been talking about how Thanksgiving is the most evil holiday ever and how the holidays are so paganistic. But everybody is making plans now for Thanksgiving because they, I guess they've been apart for so long or mm-hmm. they can't stand being by themselves. Can you address that need to be with people and not feeling comfortable by yourself or um, spending time alone? Let me tell you why people are doing that they don't they, they're not ready to sit in their mess mm. they'll go up there and they'll make the mess but uh-huh. they don't want to sit in the mess that they made yeah so yeah. they'll dump all their bottles their wrappers all their trash in a lake but when it's time to go swimming they're going to go to somebody else's lake that's clean and not swim in their own lake mm-hmm. and that's what i mean by spending time with the self 
70% of my time is spent with myself to develop my soul. 20% of my time is spent with my family. Mm -hmm. Other 10% goes to Mm -hmm. everybody else. My friend uh, Shar says, make sure you slice up some ginger and honey with that milk and cinnamon. (laughs) (laughs) But that's funny. That's funny she said, because I just got through drinking on some um, ginger honey and some um, medicinal tea. (laughs) (laughs) She said, just put that in there with that milk and cinnamon. But, but I, part of me, I go, I've been going crazy through this because I'm used to working. You know, in the morning time, I'm at the school and then I have whatever gigs in between that. And then I'm at the station and rehearsals at the end. So I'm used to being out of the house 630 to after midnight. So this time indoors is driving me crazy. It's not necessarily that I want to be around people. I felt that need and that urge to do that. But at the same time, I, I know people who have not been in the house throughout this whole pandemic. They have found something to do every moment of the day. And Mm -hmm. that idea of facing yourself, that quiet time forces you to think out loud. Yes. And you feel your motives. And I've I've gone through this. And it's things that I've had to deal with in this mode that I would not necessarily have given time or attention to before this. Yeah. So is that so difficult for people to be, and not judging anybody, but. Yeah, it's difficult. Listen, I was in 2001, I was hit by a drunk driver. Oh, wow. And let me tell you, I was, I didn't have one, two, three. I had three surgeries. Still, they were thinking about amputating my legs. If the the next surgery didn't work. And I'm saying all this to say that I was. Won't he do it, won't he do it, won't he do it. Yeah, and I run marathons (laughs) to this day. But. Um, I'm saying that to say I was forced to be immobile. I was forced to deal with all that junk that I did, all Mm. that junk, all of the hurt. And you know how you in a relationship and you know somebody ain't doing right, Mm. but you still, because you're long suffering like me, you still kind of stay in it and you you see the potential in them and you want to, you know, see what Mm. you can do to kind of make it right. Mr. Fix it, Mr. Fix it. (laughs) You start dealing with all of this stuff. You start questioning mm-hmm. who you are, what you are, why you are the way that you are. And that was the longest six months of my life to be in a wheelchair, can't go nowhere, can't do anything. I had to mm-hmm. I had to work out some things. And it's very hard. And you have to remember that people look for validation and confirmation for other human beings. Mm-hmm. And when they're not being validated or confirmed which I don't think any human being should confirm you, but when they're missing that, then they're lost. Right, It's right, a part right. of their existence. And so it's, you you got to be a powerful individual to sit there to be able to affirm yourself, right? Uh-huh. Get confirmations here and there from human beings, but be able to sit in your mess and allow your higher source, which is mine, is God, to confirm if you're doing good, or if you're doing bad, who wants to sit there and get reprimanded by God? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it. I think this pandemic, um, one, is going to go on longer than what we think, but two, it is going to totally change who many of us are, mm-hmm. who many of us pretend to be, who many of us want to be. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of people. It's going to be a big gap, bigger than what it was 
just eight and a half months ago between people. And it's, mm. and it's a lot of us have wasted time throughout this. And for whatever reason, whether we just didn't address the issues, whether we didn't paint that room that we've been wanting to paint or whatever the issue or speak out to that family member or in that relationship, we've wasted time through this. But I've seen people thrive in ways that it's been difficult for them to thrive prior to this because a lot of them took this time to like just do what it is that they've always wanted to do versus what they've had to do for bills and, and things like that. And it's really, um, it's astounding looking at people thrive in the midst of all of this crazy we've been through in the last almost year now. So in terms of people starting new businesses, Mm -hmm. people, you know, uh, going hard with hobbies that they had or, you know, expanding and, and jumping and moving, and doing things that they would they would be so stifled from. And, and, and a lot of us have had a little boost. You know, a lot of people who got financial aid got that little boost. But you saw people do, for the most part, do the right thing in this moment and just try harder. Um, mm. when, you, when you have this type of growth going on, what are some of the things or the warnings that you give to some of your clients, not to stifle them, but mm-hmm. to say, Hey, you know, this is a pendulum. Life is a pendulum. Also. So you up here right now. So I need you to prepare for what's when that swing back happens. Boy, you, you better preach. I like that. You I've been doing the work. I've been doing out. the work. Prepare, prepare, mm-hmm. prepare. That means so, so much. And it'll go a long way. And I always tell my clients, have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. Always be prepared. And I I just can't harp on that enough. But I would tell everybody that's listening, there is a shift in the atmosphere, a shift that's happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is your time. If you want to do something right now, now is your time. But make sure during this time it's transformational and not transactional. And you may say, DB, Mm -hmm. what does that mean? Mm. Do not go to networking meetings to network. You go to networking meetings to transform, to build partnerships, to build relationships. That networking stuff yeah, yeah. is one-sided. Yeah. And I guarantee it's temporary. You, yeah, th- that's the word I was getting ready to use. It's mm-hmm. temporary. It's no longevity in it. And so if you're not in the business of relationship building, uh, then you're going to miss out on your blessing. You're yes. going to miss out on your opportunity. And I, and that's one of the things that that's even probably how I met you or came into contact with you mm-hmm. because I said to myself, I've always been the artsy person in my family and friend circles, but I still was very, you know, okay, I want a roof over my head. I want clothes on my back. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to go to the market on Wednesday. So I, it was still a little part of me that was still stuck. My toe was still in that nine to five world mm-hmm. um, and mindset, not even in a world, but that the thought process mm-hmm. of somebody in it. Um, but I've realized in this, do things that make you uncomfortable. Uh, before we got on this, I had went to the art supply store to get some stuff uh, to make some things. 
And I was in the middle of the store and I said, Nate, what if you were that person? You know, that person that just walks into every situation and just makes friends and, you know, start talking to the people that work at a place and, and become that person. And I said, what if you try to do that right now? Like, just do that. So every time somebody would walk past, I would spark up a conversation and it would, I could tell how jarring it was to the people who work in this art store because the art store is just a few minutes from a few steps from my home. So I've gone there all the time and they're not used to that, Nate. Government <laughs> just try that, even if it's not something you do every day. Yeah. And it was fulfilling. It was a lot of energy and that's probably why I don't do it all the time, but it's a lot of energy <laughs> that had to happen in order to keep that, that momentum going. Mm. But the next time I go in there, they're going to react to me differently. Right. Those people are um, going to react, which is going to force me to be like, okay, how you doing today? What's going on with you? How's your baby? Yeah. And it just that one little step, that thought that was like, Nate, won't you? And I don't even know where that thought came from. Mm -hmm. I really, I couldn't even tell you, like, that's something I've been thinking about before because it wasn't. But I was saying, well, what if you just step outside of your character, quote unquote, your character and do something that scares you that you've never done before mm -hmm. and just meeting people and just, yeah. you know, doing something that you can't, you know, um, imagine doing. That's what got me to We Are You Radio. Like I didn't I just reached out, reached back out to you the owner to. and and you don't know what things will. And it did that mm -hmm. just started as a general uh interview and mm -hmm. then you you meet people uh and like yourself in accord with that and, and you just don't know what things will happen but yeah just i've seen a lot of people jumping out there people mm -hmm. who didn't have a a business bone in their body and now got a t-shirt business and or a yeah. restaurant i've seen so many restaurants pop up right now it's crazy but it's what i think our culture needed we just needed just a little push it's a little yeah. moment where we ain't working ourselves to the grave to flourish and to thrive. Right. And that's, and that's just what happened. So one of the things that I'm just excited about is that we're taking some of this money from the 1%, right? So we're trying taking to some make of our money sure back yeah. from the 1% <laughs> for that too. So it's Let's like, that's exciting. Right. In mm -hmm. addition to that, um, our community oftentimes are working two and three jobs. Right. And so we don't have the time to be creative, to invest in our own creativity. And we are creative beings. I mean, if you just think about some, some of the things that black people have done and have invented, you'll be like, wow. And understanding that our heritage and our history and our generation come from a long bloodline mm -hmm. of entrepreneurs. I mean, right. we have entrepreneurship in our spirits, period. And so, again, it goes back to knowing who you are, knowing your name and spending that quality time with you and, 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 and just digging and looking back on pitches for you to understand where mm -hmm. you are and your capabilities. Because we are working, oftentimes we are working for companies. And you know what we're doing? We giving them, we're selling our creativity for them for $40,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, what's your idea on this? Or yeah. How do you think we should proceed? You giving them the big business, your plan of action, and they paying you for three thousand a year. I've been, I've been, um, I work for a company that puts me in schools, and I teach 
art, theater, public speaking. Um, and that's been my life for a number of years now. And it was crazy because I just was emptying out some emails and I came across my email that they send out every year with, with our contract in it. And we digitally sign it. And I said, let me just read this contract. And I go through the contract. And in that contract, I basically sold them or gave them my creativity because I didn't get the money for specifically that. But it was clauses in it that says anything that you create, innovate, start, or create a process for belongs to us. Yep, they're on the rights. So me sending in my uh, lesson plans every week and creating these images and, and all this stuff that I was sending them and sending them so they can promote on their website or to you know potential sponsors and such, I was giving them all of me. And it was no clause that says we would share the rights to or this is our percent... It belongs to us. Mm -hmm. So if I created this new way of communicating, and it was often things that I did that were for the first time for that company in terms of how I was teaching my preschoolers, I'm saying like that belongs to them. Now. I just gave them that. They can use that for future teachers, for future classrooms, for future grants, and I don't get any percent of that. And I, that made me read the whole, whole contract, mm -hmm. and I would never sign that contract after reading it. Never, even if I go back to them once this is all over, if I go back, I'm never, 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 yeah. never signing that contract ever again. I'm going to send them my contract. Exactly. And if they don't like that, then that's it. But it, that's it's not how you enough. Have to think. Mm -hmm. But, but how do you get entrepreneurs specifically? Because that's probably what you work with a lot more so. Yeah. How do you get them to take themselves that seriously when it comes to, even if they're working, like for right now, me working for someone else, that's a benefactor to me now. It's no longer a job. Is a benefactor. In a moment, mm -hmm. that benefactor, it doesn't work out. I'm gone. Is yeah. you know, let me yeah. go and, and interview the next benefactor. Uh, but how do you get individuals <laughs> to take themselves that seriously? It, it, again, it just goes back to understanding the self and finding their worth. Okay. When you again, when you know who you are, man, there is no stopping. And you know, I would read different books and. Um, different blogs about learning who you are and knowing yourself and your worth. Right. And, and then on a therapeutic level, you know, we have things that we teach and we have different techniques we use to get them to understand and love themselves a little bit more. Mm -hmm. But when you arrive, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's when we start taking the same approach that you have. We look at the job as being a means of paying your rent. And not yeah. necessarily being a, a means of your longevity. Mm. Maybe like, because back in the day, that's how we used to raise. I remember my grandmother saying when I was switching jobs when I first moved to Atlanta, you need to get on the job and stay on the job. That's because she was at Bell South <laughs> for literally 30 years and she retired. Yeah. So everything was devoted and invested in Bell South. And she did get her retirement. But companies yeah. are not that loyal anymore. But when she retired, somebody else is doing that job now. Yeah, it's probably been a cycle of people that's been through there that probably wasn't even as faithful as she was uh -huh. that's doing that job right now. Mm -hmm. Is Bell South even still existing? No, no, it's A and T and T now. But uh, somebody else is doing that yeah. job right now. 
I'm going to tell you, if y'all don't already know, which you probably already do know, your job can care two craps load about your behind, mm -hmm. most jobs, unless you're working with a small business um, and they are able to convey that type of, you know, um, affection and affinity for you and your work. Mm -hmm. But these big corporations, they're there for their bottom line yeah. to make sure they get their numbers. And so when you give them, you, you give them the bare minimum and yes. you take that leftover energy and you bring that leftover energy to what it is that you truly want to do and see i have been doing that for years and didn't realize that was what i was doing because often my job would pay for my you know everyday expenses but i would take whatever was left over and put that into my art or to me being a performer and buying, you know, makeup or whatever I needed to be an actor and just trying to fill that void in that space. And I didn't realize that's what I was doing. And the moment I start realizing, you know, I need a benefit for working here beyond dental or vision or whatever. I need a benefit for working here because that that's, that's a given. That's what you should give us for giving our time. But I realized and it helped me not to stay at jobs longer than I should be. But I honestly, I didn't get that until I was probably 30 or over 30. So I'm in my 30s now. And I can say in the last like seven years or so, I've gotten that lesson. But it, I wish I pray. And I, that's why I work so, many, so much with young adults, because you have to get that early. Because the later you get it, it's not never too late. But the later you get it, the harder it is to change the habit yeah. of being in that mindset of a nine to five employee. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But just always have your own separate mission statement in mind. Yeah. You know, this is a means not to an end, but to my next level, my next right. step. So that's that's just me doing the work. That's that's what I've gotten from this. That's good. That's good. And, and, you know, and you may want to work for that particular company for the rest of your life. Right. Mm -hmm. If that's what you want to do as far as your occupation right. or your vocational work. Uh, but also understand that you need to be preparing and feeding your soul's development. Yeah. And so your job in these corporations, they don't care n nothing about your soul development. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so. Once you're able to develop yourself, then you begin to walk in your purpose. And most of us don't know what our purpose is. I just found out what my purpose was when I went through that whole thing. I told you I was depressed. That's how I found out my purpose. But I was working so much. I thought my purpose was just to go out there and make money. I don't know about you, but I can remember as a little boy, you know, they say, baby, go to school. You get a good job. Uh, pay mm -hmm. your bills, pay your taxes, you know, and that's that was my goal. I didn't. And you see can be in your that. you can be in your passion and not understand that. Yeah, you can be in your career, your line of work, your passion, your own business and still not know. Right. Because passion is different from purpose. Yeah. Passion is what few the purpose. Passion is what fuels the the action. Yeah. You mm -hmm. can be passionate. I haven't been passionate in all the relationships, but that <laughs> outcome did. It was the outcome uh -huh. that I wanted. It was yeah. a completely different outcome. You know, it yeah. wasn't aligned with my purpose. So you have to understand what that purpose is, or you're going to be forever passionately lost. Yeah. yeah. And it's going to be an emotional roller coaster. So yeah. everything that you do, do with intention and attention. Right. And um, I cover that in the book too. When you do it with intention, 
again, we would have thought, I intend to do this. When you do it with attention, then it's the action that's nurturing the intention. So uh, we are running out of time. Okay. I really, like, I want a part B to this um, because <laughs> your book is coming out and you're, you're doing your rounds right now in terms of yeah. advertising and marketing. Mm -hmm. So tell people where we can get you at, where we can find you at. At the bottom of the screen, his IG uh, is on the screen already, but where can we find you at to communicate or if we want to host a workshop for you or send you awesome. some food stamps or whatever it may be. <laughs> Make but, sure uh, there's a paper food stamp right. too. I like <laughs> uh, But you can find me um, Love's Pursuit A-T-L-L. That's L-O-V-E-S Pursuit P-U-R-S-U-I-T-A-T-L. Um, mm -hmm. You can use that to find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and lovespursuitatl.com. That's my website. Okay. So we're going to get him back on here because we're going to go and dissect the book. And and tell us again, when does the book come out and right. where could it be purchased at? Or are okay. we there yet? So the book can be purchased on my website. Um, it can also, you can go to Facebook. You can purchase it there. Right now we have a $35 special startup kit. And that includes the book, um, our affirmation bookmark and our also chakra bracelet to help you with intention. So we give you a little kit to just jumpstart, mm -hmm. but it releases on February 6, 2021. That's a Saturday. Okay. So you can get that kit on, on your website. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. So I appreciate you, sir. And I'm going to ask you my final question and yes, we will get out, out here, get some dinner and all that, that jazz. Uh, but what question would you ask to your 100 year old self and what advice would you give to your 17 year old self? Uh, what question I would ask my 100 year old self is probably, hmm, where do you go from here? Mm. Yeah, where do you go from here? Cause my goal is to live to be 125. That's my goal. <laughs> Is I already put it out there? I've been I've been getting a lot of responses <laughs> lately in that avenue. Everybody want to be over a hundred and yeah. pushing, but I get you. I get you. Mine is one. Mine is one thirteen or one twelve in a day. My great great grandmother was one hundred and twelve. So I want to. Okay. I want to <laughs> get so that at least that. by a day. By a day. <laughs> <laughs> That's your competitive nature. Uh -huh. now, what was your second question? Because I don't forget. What What advice would you give to your seventeen year old self? Man, don't be concerned that you are not built like the average black person. You're tall, you lean, you have a European body. No, you're not curvy or voluptuous, and your booty is probably the size of a grape. It is okay. You are still attractive and handsome. And although FUBU, Sean John, Rockaway fall off your body and swallow you up, they're going to soon make what you call slim fit. And you're going to be dapper. You're going to be look good in that slim fit. And this man lives in the middle of ATL and, and he's talking about slim fit. So we go, I'm going to have to show you some restaurants to go to there that I know about so we can, so we can work on that. But I appreciate you, sir, uh, for coming through. And nice to meet you. Um, uh, but in anything that I can do to help you further push it, just let me know. Reach out. And I definitely want to bring you back on when it's closer to your book launching so we can kind of do a talk back. And I'm going to get that okay. kit as well so so we can awesome. vibe on what the book is and, and how we can help people. 
help how I can help you help other people. Uh, so, so I Thank appreciate you, you sir. Uh, everybody's listen. Don't forget the artist exchange comes on every Monday and Friday at 5 PM. Uh, don't forget, um, my mind just went blank again. Uh, Bingeworthy podcast, a new episode drops tomorrow. We are reviewing videos, film, TV, television, all those things, uh, and connecting it to our spiritual, our social, our economical, our historical selves. So tune into that tomorrow and every Tuesday, a new episode. Happy Thanksgiving, because I'm not going to see you until next Monday. Uh, Get as much turkey as you can get, but be be safe, be sensible, small groups, Please be safe so we can see each other in the new year uh, and next Thanksgiving. So, uh, again, thank you, sir. Uh, you can tune into his show also on WERU Radio, W-E-R-U Radio every Wednesday. Every Wednesday morning, 7 to 8 a.m. There you go. Uh, you can get it on the app, Where Are You Radio app. So, thank you again. Peace out, sir. Appreciate thank you. you. Thank um, you. The Have next a good show one. up is. Uh, What's the next show, Monty? I just forgot that quick. It's time to cook something with Hilarious Omar. There we go. There we go. His second show, he did great his first go around. So check him out uh, and uh, get some laughs. You will definitely laugh. You will Mm -hmm. learn some things and all that junk. So uh, peace out, people. Peace out.